Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for some of those Paul Anka records. Sorry, Paul. We're not having your baby. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Now hear this. Now hear this show. times there's double standards for women. We've been conditioned to be homemakers and it's important, no matter what gender you are, to make yourself happy. When I rolled out of town On the unpaved road I was $57 From being broke Kissed my mama and my sisters And I said goodbye with my suitcase packed, I wiped the tears from my eyes. We're sent here. We're made to feel pain. Times they were tough. Growing up at home, my daddy lost the farm. When I was two years old, took a job at the prison. Working second shift And that's the last time I'll let them take Singing about going to jail and drinking too much and, and just how that is perceived as being a woman and maybe not being ladylike. Welcome back to Now Hear This. Welcome back. You've returned. This is our, what is this, fifth episode? Number five. If you've stuck with us this long, you know. Well, should we introduce ourselves? I guess this is really sloppy. This is a sloppy intro. This is a great intro. My name is Paul Kaminsky. And no, wait, I'm Ryan. Br- oh, dang it. Ah, oh, beans. I screwed oh, old Gil, screwed it up again. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons are great. Check the Simpsons out. I'm Ryan Brady. Yeah, here's a plug for the beloved family program, The Simpsons. There's a little indie cartoon we're trying to help out right now yeah i am paul kaminsky telling you not to have a cow this literally has <laughs> nothing to do with this episode like no there's nothing to do with it at all not even close to having anything to do with it yeah i'll keep some of this in i imagine but anyway if you stuck with us this long you know that ryan and i exchange albums here on the podcast every episode 
Every episode, yeah. Every single episode. And so when Ryan gives me an album, it's one I perhaps haven't listened to or at the very least am unfamiliar with to a large degree and vice versa for Ryan. And yes. so far, I've picked a lot of sassy women and Ryan's picked a lot of sad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Our internal character comes out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to break that, I swear to God. But this episode is no different, and the tradition lives on as we are today discussing Margot Price's debut solo record, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. Oh, yes. Well, so I thought Midwest Farmer's Daughter, I think it was a Beach Boys reference, and then I turned this thing on and it's fiddles and slide guitars and i'm like oh son of a bee because i'm not the biggest country i'm not the biggest country western music fan as you know i keep turning in sad boy records from middle-aged men so but you know what halfway Hmm. through this record that i thought i was going to be just a nightmare and a miserable experience i fell in love did you spoiler alert there's not a song in this record i don't like wow that is high praise Yeah. Upon my first listen to this record, I was in a very similar boat. I am not a country guy. I don't really like country at all. But this album, under the guise of like rock and roll honky tonk. Right. Yeah. Led me by the hand through the door into, oh, this is what country can be. Mm -hmm. My common frame of reference is rock and roll. And so Margot has a lot of rock and roll in her sound. And it's actually more, and we'll get into this, but it's more akin to like a Neil Youngy sort of yes, yeah, you know, Willie Nelson. But Willie's maybe more in the country side of things. It's got a lot of that. I guess Neil Young would be the closest comparison. Almond Brothers, maybe that kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Where there's enough crossover, where I'm like, oh. Just to give a little background as to how I got into her, if I may shamelessly plug for a moment, longtime listeners of my other program, the Third Men Podcast, know that I'm a big Jack White fan. And Margot Price came into my periphery because of Third Man Records, which is Jack's record company. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I was resistant at first, dismissed it at first. And then on an off chance, I was just at Amoeba one day and I saw the CD and it was discounted. And I'm a big like physical media person. So I was just like, okay, fine. And so I picked it up just on a like a whatever kind of whim. Mm-hmm. And I spent the afternoon riding around in my car listening to this thing, and I was blown away. I was, yeah. it found something in me and touched it, and it awakened a an interest I didn't realize I had. I'm right with you on that. Same sort of thing. I haven't explored this any further. I love Dolly Parton. There are a lot of, even Carly Simon, there are a lot of female singers I do really love. I actually really love Ariana Grande, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I think that Seven Rings song is one of like the best songs ever. I don't know if I find myself really investigating the careers of female singers as much as I have men singers or just bands in general. You know, shame on me. This is one of these artists where, lo- where I'm going to go listen to everything she's done. And you sent me a couple things just in the past, I don't know, 24, 48 hours. I'm like, wow, all of this is great. Her <laughs> music videos are funny. She's charming. She has this whole yeah. kind of, she has her middle finger up to the whole yeah. Music business, at least the Nashville music business, it sounds like. Right. Yeah, that's what charmed me too, and, and we'll get into some of that. Well why don't we why don't we do a little bit of a bio on her and then we'll get okay. into the record and her attitude and stuff. But the reason why I do want to do this little slightly deeper dive into the bio is because part of her appeal is her story. 
And the first track, which again, we'll get into is kind of a microcosm of the story I'm about to to tell you. So Mm -hmm. we'll just touch base on that here. So Margo was born in April, 1983 in Buffalo Prairie, Illinois. Don't know where that is. And I'm from Illinois. She grew up on a family farm. Mm-hmm. And they farmed soybeans and cattle. And her family was forced to sell that farm due to the, the farming depression, I guess you'd call it, of the early 80s, that whole like farm aid thing, you know? Yeah. And it was a combo of harsh banking practices and drought that drove them out of uh, business and wow. uh, made them sell the farm. Margo's quoted as saying, it took the wind out of the whole family. We were still surrounded by cornfields and cattle, and it was really hard for my parents you know, to cope, part of the way that she and her family coped with it was with music, and she sang and played piano in her church choir. Right. So she's about our age. She's a couple years older than us, to give you a frame of reference here. She's born in 83. So she's, you know, right now she's in her mid-30s. So she was coming up at the time we were. So you can kind of imagine the time periods we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. She went to college, but dropped out in 2003 at the age of 20. She actually went to college to study dance, but she decided to just completely leave her entire old life behind and move to Nashville, wow. inspired by a great uncle of hers named Bobby Fisher. Not the chess man. Is that a chess man? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bobby Fisher. That's the chess guy. The guy who would trick all the people with his psychological tactics. He's amazing. <laughs> but that's where... Way off. No, no. Okay, keep going. No, well, maybe she was inspired by Bobby Fisher. I think yeah. I'm inspired by Bobby Fisher. I think about that at least once a month, Bobby Fisher. <laughs> really, I do. Do you really? No, I don't. I'm just a straight up lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's mentioned in a lot of books. On there's a whole chapter about him in that Forty Eight Laws of Power book. Like, mm. I'll, I'll send you that on the side. This is not. Yeah. <laughs> for everybody listening. Yeah, Ryan's got some literature for all of us to read. I, there's some <laughs> radical opinions in there. Let me tell you this. Radical is exactly how I describe it also. In the 90s way. We will get back to your radicalization in a moment. But Thank you. Inspired by Bobby Fischer. Now, this guy's interesting. So he left his entire old life behind yeah. and moved to Nashville himself and toiled away on Music Row for like 20 years until he finally was able to sell some of his songs to artists like George Jones, Conway Twitty, and Reba McIntyre. Wow, 20 years. It's a long time. So anyway, the career record for him, as I mean, he puts it, career maker record, was a song called You Lie from Reba McIntyre, which spent five months on the country charts. Now, I did track this song down and listen to it, and I do not like Reba McIntyre. I don't know if it's my kind of country. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You know? Uh, uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. I do. I actually do. She has a delightful TV show from what I understand. So, I don't know. And she was in one of the, what, the first Tremors movie? Is that her, Reba McIntyre? Oh I'm almost my positive. God. Are you... Wow. You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah, she's married to the guy, the guy with the bunker and the guns. Bert, maybe, is his name? The head tremor. Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon and I did it for you today. Fred Ward is my personal hero, I think. I'm looking this up now. Tremors. You've seen this movie, right? I love Tremors. I've seen Tremors 1, 2, 3, and that's where I stop. (laughs) Yeah, you should stop at 3. Yeah, Reba McIntyre is Heather Gummer, the wife to Burt Gummer, played by legendary actor Michael Gross. I am watching Tremors tonight. Tonight. Yes. Yes. I'm watching it tonight. So speaking of personal influences, 
so if some of Margo, <laughs> some of uh, this is what Margo had to say about her personal influences. So she's in Nashville now. She's left her old life behind. She's trying to make it. And this is her talking later about her influences. She says, a lot of times people say, I sound like Loretta Lynn or Tammy Wynette, but I feel kind of like the men. I'm like David Allen Coe. I've been to prison, man. I think that's what separated me from Casey Musgraves and stuff like that. There's not a lot of glitter or girly bows and stuff. Mm. So throwing a little shade at Casey Musgraves, I'm really unfamiliar other than the idea that she is very popular in country circles, which again, I am not running in any country circles. No, no, me neither. At least I don't think I am, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. <laughs> I love so much of the music from the 60s and 70s and you know, look up a lot to Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline and Kitty Wells and the list goes on. Uh, so she described Nashville as a tough place to be discovered and she actually wound up meeting up with her old great uncle Bobby and this is a great little story she says I went over one time and played him a song I was proud of he just sat there quiet after I finished then he looked at me right in the eyes and said here's what you do go home get rid of your tv get rid of your computer turn the radio off and write Mm. and that was his way of saying, you're not there yet, but keep trying. It really hurt my feelings at first because so many people nowadays are afraid to be honest, but that was great. It really lit a fire under my ass. So old Uncle Bobby was nonplussed, but gave her some advice, which is to keep at it. Good advice. I mean, that's all it is, really. I mean, just, just it's just keeping at it long enough, right? Yeah, just about anything in this life, I think. Just consistency and persistence. Yeah, but it, that is really good advice. No, no joke. Yeah. So to make ends meet, she waited tables. She sold suits at the mall. She waited tables at TGI Fridays. She's tended bar at a place called Flying Saucers, where she was made to wear skimpy Catholic schoolgirl outfits, which she would later describe as a little demeaning. (sighs) She worked in construction, installing and removing residential siding. She played Gretel in local children's theater and then started teaching dance to kids at the YMCA using some of the skills she picked up at college. So she's hustling, Ryan. She's hustling. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Mega big time. So then she met her uh, husband-to-be, Jeremy Ivy, or Jivey as they call him, and uh, he was a country singer who was also ensconced in the Nashville scene, and then they formed a band called Buffalo Clover. Now, those are the tracks I played you last night, Buffalo Clover. Yeah, those are great ones, yeah. Yeah, they're they're a little more rocking. They're they're a little more like um, I don't know. I described them to you in an email as seventy three Ringo Star. Yes, that's what they sound like. Yeah, it's some pop rock records. They, so they would release three albums and an EP together, and then some of their members would join her band later, the Price Tags. But previous members include the now famous Sturgill Simpson. Oh yeah! Wow, that is that's that's crazy. Yeah, and somebody named Kenny Vaughn, who was, I guess, a guitarist for the Marty Stewart band. Marty Stewart's band? I don't know who that is. No, I don't know. Uh, But this is the other thing. While she was in Buffalo Clover, she befriended Brittany Howard, who was about to blow up in Alabama Shakes. Damn. And her and Brittany became good friends, and Brittany actually guests on all these Buffalo Clover records. And so just talking about her sound real quick, it says, I kind of went more the folk direction for a while, and I always thought I wanted to write songs that had substance. And so I very much loved Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and really gravitated towards that. And then the kinks. Hmm. I got very interested in the kinks for a while and started playing rock and roll. I did that for quite some time, and I had a soul band that had like three backup singers and a horn section. (sighs) Before I knew it, I was singing over, you know, 14 people 
people and kind of wondered if I had gotten too much, uh, had this Joe Cocker thing going on, which I don't mind. No, no, I don't mind it at all. But so this, so for this configuration now is none of Buffalo Clover, not even, uh, do you know? Yeah, so her current band has the drummer from Buffalo Clover, a guy named Dylan Napier. Yeah. And Jeremy Ivey, who's her husband, Jivey. Okay, that yeah. all makes sense now. Yeah, so her husband used to sing in Buffalo Clover every now and again. I'm not the biggest fan of his voice. I kind of, I don't know. I kind of check out when his songs come on. And the Margot ones really do stand out and sort of shine in that band. Isn't that so funny? That somebody's voice can just change whether or not you want to listen to a song. Yeah. Like, Bert, you ever heard Burke Backrack sing one of his songs? Just like, oh, snooze. But then somebody <laughs> else does, and you're like, whoa, that's a good song. I've never done the Burt trip, and I have a feeling we're probably going to do the Burt trip at yes, some point on this show. Probably. There is one run record of his I really like. Is he kind of a sad man, though? He's more of like a... Yes. You think so? <laughs> I'm I, knowing nothing. I know as much about Burt Bacharach now as I did about Randy Newman before you blew my mind. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is what they call in the business foreshadowing. <sighs> Whew. Whew. I'm getting vapors. <laughs> I, a chill actually ran down my sp- the nape of my neck. Get a priest in here. We got a guy with the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're touching the nape. So everything sounds like it's going kind of okay, but they're sort of toiling away, and this is where things go really bad. Buffalo Clover broke up around this time. Her and her husband, Jivey, sold their possessions for $3,000 and drove west, playing bars along the way, and they lived in a, uh, a Winnebago and just kind of hit the road. Right. Just completely disillusioned with Nashville after that experience. She told Charlie Rose the story and she said, I had a very bad experience with an older gentleman who had a studio and wanted me to write some demos for him for more the pop country world. And we spoke a little bit about it. I was writing them with him and another guy and I went to the restroom. And when I came out, I was having a glass of sangria and I began to not feel well. I asked them if they put anything in my drink and they said, don't worry, we just put vodka in there because we thought you weren't having enough fun. Oh boy. Yeah. And that immediately set off alarms in her head and her mother's words were sort of like ringing in her ear, get out of there. And so she was able to get out of there unharmed, but this completely disillusioned her toward the entire music business, basically. And then it gets worse In 2010, two weeks after he was born, her son Ezra died of a rare heart condition. My goodness. Yeah. And Margot said of that, that took me out of the game for a while. There were times when I felt terrible. All I wanted to do was drink and forget. I denounced God. I was angry. Why would anyone do this to a person? She drank and self-medicated and considered checking into a mental institution at one point. And during a night of really, really hard drinking, a cab failed to show up and she got behind the wheel of her car. She was pulled over and spent the weekend in jail. And so this was kind of a wake-up call for her, this jail experience and so she resolved to sober up and start recording an album that Mm. was hers not not buffalo clovers and so they went into the studio and uh they didn't initially have money to go into the studio and so uh the the impetus to do that was she was at uh she was at a club in nashville and somebody from rolling stone was there and they asked to hear her album And she says, well, I don't have one. (laughs) And so she wound up selling her car and pawning her wedding ring to buy studio time. Damn. And they recorded Midwest Farmer's Daughter at the original Sun Studio in Memphis, Tennessee. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, working at night because the place was packed with tourists during the day. And if it wasn't for Alabama Shakes' Brittany Howard, the album might not have actually come out because she <laughs> she sold Howard her vintage reel-to-reel equipment to help pay for the studio time. It was a it was a reel-to-reel, the wedding ring, some instruments in the car all got pawned off to finish Midwest Farmer's Daughter. So she was all, like, she just took every dollar she had or any piece of equity she had and dumped it into this project on the, like last hope that it would happen for her wow that is yeah i can't even but you can hear that all in the record you can hear oh yeah because the record makes you feel alive and if she's dumping all of her possessions and selling her wedding ring and she was drugged in nashville and her child died of course yeah of course i mean pain makes for some of the best music I mean, right? Yeah, it's true. My, uh, my favorite George Harrison record is Dark Horse because it's so like he was in a kind of an awful state and doing a lot of drugs, and his his wife ran off with Eric Clapton and Happens, Ronnie Wood apparently. And, yeah, and I don't know. I find it to be great for us as a listener and just awful for the people going through it. <laughs> You know. Well, yeah. I mean, also, George, didn't he steal Ringo's wife, Maureen, for a bit? Yeah, that's They were all kind thing. of playing around. Yeah. So the bad times didn't necessarily end after this album was finished. So as I mentioned, she went back to Nashville with this fire and fervor. She shopped it around to 30 different record labels, all of which turned it down. But yeah. 30. Also happens. 30 labels turned her down. Well... As a person that works at a record label and has worked, don't sign to a record label if you don't have to. <laughs> Seriously. It's going to take all your money. Wow. There's some, there's some insight for you. Uh, but if I told you that you should sign to the label, then you definitely yeah. should. Again, some very, very controversial literature coming your way from Ryan Brady. <laughs> you call it a manifesto. Yeah. might be a, in a pamphlet form. <laughs> Be available in bathroom stalls and <laughs> telephone poles. Yeah. So um, that's where Jack White comes in. Not the bathroom stalls and telephone poles. But that's where Jack comes in and Jack's third man records. So Margot had a, through the Nashville scene, got to know some people who knew Jack and knew third man who are based out of Nashville. And they got a meeting at Nashville. And this is a hilarious and very Jack White story. So... <laughs> She contacted White, and at a meeting at Third Man Records, she was handed a guitar and played a song she had recently written about life on the road called Desperate and Depressed. Oh, yeah, I like that one. I'm pissed off at the number The people that I meet Who go to shake my hand With a viper up their sleeve It freeze me out in the winter Burn me up all summer Try to take my money when I'm desperate and depressed, ain't it a mess? That people free and people, the miles on my truck. Jack wasn't in the room, but he was listening from the next room. And Margo was saying to quote, he just wanted to make sure I could sing in tune. <laughs> wow. And after hearing that song and, and talking to her. 
at that point, he agreed to put out the label's first country record. So this was a risk for Jack, too. And, you know, he took a gamble on it. She took a gamble with them. Like, everyone was gambling away their entire lives on this stuff. Seriously, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, and she says, I don't know if it would have even come out, but we put all our chips on the record. And that leads us, Ryan, to Midwest Farmer's Daughter, released on March 25th, 2016, recorded in three days at Sun Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. Three days? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I've got a couple overall bullet points on this one. Do you want to hear those, Ryan? What am I calling this? Paul's Bullet Corner? I forget. Paul's Corner Bullet Corner. Yeah, Paul's Bullet Corner. (laughs) I think we (laughs) called it something last time. We've got to get this thing a better name. I'm telling you. Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. Paul's Fast Facts. Paul's Fast Five. Coming at you. Pete. Pete coming at you. Pete coming at you. Yeah, that's that'll do it. <laughs> All right. So this week's pee in your face is I have uh let's see, four four bullet points here. <clears throat> the first one. A toke and a smoke and a honk and a tonk and a bump and a shot for your trouble. I'm. Do you have more bullet points after that? That's, <laughs> I think you got the whole record, but please keep going. Country jam for he who hates country jam. <laughs> it's, yeah. Guilty yeah. is charged. A pleasant ass kicking from the Declaration of Independence and your mama. Mm. Mm. And uh, last one here. Whiskey and pathos. Whiskey and Pathos should be her next record <laughs> title. And that's been Paul's pee in your Paul's gonna pee in your face. What are we calling this? Paul's bullet. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Paul's Paul, bullet man. Readers digest the the spark notes. Does spark notes still exist? Remember yeah, those? I haven't thought about spark notes in fifteen years. What were the yellow ones? The it's not a spark note. Or was that the spark that, note? Well, that was cliff notes. Cliff notes were the yellow ones. The but none of notes. that works. We have to no. come back to that. But I do okay. love your bullet points. They are okay. hilarious you. every time. So let's get into the record, Ryan. It starts off with basically the story I just told you in the song Hands of Time. And this song is essentially just everything that happened to her up to this point. Like it's she just lays it all on the table. Well, yeah. Knowing what you just said for the last, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes, it changes the whole record for me now. Because <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought this is one of those records. Because, you know, when we do these, I really try to come from, I do a little bit of research, but I come to the table having listened to the record and given my reaction to it. Yeah. This sounds so good, this album. All the playing is so excellent. The lyrics are so well done. I thought that... They spent three months in the studio. It was three days. Three days. And then and then I just thought she was a good storyteller. No, no, no. These are just the inner workings of her mind and her getting all of this horrible pain out. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Almost every song goes back to the story I just told you in one way or the other. It's, yeah. it's basically her journey, like this album, which is interesting because what do you do after that? Not that we're about to talk about that, but like, what do you do after you've told your whole story? And so seeing Mm -hmm. her output after this record has been fascinating because 
it's similar to, and you, you have experience with hip hop. It's similar to, I feel like rappers, once they get a little bit of money, start rapping about how the money's been bringing them problems or causing grief or whatever. So, or fame has, has changed their lives, you know, Eminem with the stand stuff and all that. It's been interesting watching her trajectory reacting to fame. And that's been the subject matter after this. So this record is her, it's her heart and her soul and everything else has been like what happened to her after she showed her heart and soul to the world. I want to buy back the farm and bring my mama home some wine and turn back the clock on the cruel hands of time. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. A little background on this song. Third Man put out this track as a, I don't know, you call it a lyric video now, but at the time of its release, I feel like we weren't really doing lyric videos as a nation <laughs> yet. <laughs> as the United States. <laughs> but it was just literally just a clock on the table ticking. And it was the song. And that was how they promoted the record in the lead That's up right. to its release. And I had listened to it, but I, I didn't really kind of get it. It's funny. Margot said, this is a six-minute song, and everyone kept trying to make it my single, and I don't know if America has six minutes of attention span. <laughs> Good point. She's very smart. I, I Yeah, totally. And that, and that her wit is part of what got me through the first listen, because I really respond when somebody is being subversive, or there's double meaning, or some kind of biting wit to the lyric and this record is actually full of that stuff and you can take it at face value if you want but underneath that face value is this really smart person who's thinking through what she's saying oh yeah definitely absolutely she is this track has like a lot of soaring voice and strings i i think it's probably her finest song just for me personally i I don't know if it gets much better than this just for her on a songwriting level there's also a little keyboard like organ thing that was like used mm-hmm. a lot in the 90s. I don't even know what that is. It sounds like a key, like a, only you know, a little like a Billy Preston funk on there. Yeah, I'd have to listen back to it. But is it an, or- is it an organ? More of an organ sound? It sounds or? like an electric organ, like a, yeah, like something like a setting on a keyboard or something. Well, if it's Nashville, it probably was like a Whirly or a Rhodes or something like that. I'm unfamiliar with any organ, but. I was going to say, but my own, but this is a family podcast. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to listen to it right now. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. Do you know where it is in the song? I would say about four minutes in, something like that. What a good song. Yeah. It's, it almost sounds like a Mellotron or something because it's got strings, but it has that tape effect. I'm not sure. I think you're right. It's maybe a keyboard, a keyboard patch, but it does sound very, (laughs) very nineties. Yeah. Very 90s. I, I love the strings on this. It, there's like a, in the final verse, it's got a little George Martin-y, like a little like mm-hmm. kind of groove they're getting out of the strings there. And I don't know where they got these strings from. I don't know if that was keyboard stuff too. It sounds like actual strings. I guess it's Memphis. They're recording in Memphis, so it's probably not too hard to find strings in Memphis. But um <laughs> Strings just laying everywhere in Memphis. So the last thing I'll say about this song is that when asked if she would buy back the farm, she said, I'd love to buy back the farm for my parents, but I don't know if they have any interest in farming at this point. My father's retired after working his whole life in prison, and they're getting older. So it's kind of a sad little note to end on. Yeah, it's a sad tune, but it's but it's effective because of it. Yeah. So anyway, that brings us to track two, About to Find Out. My note on this, I had two notes, clearly about Trump, and Ooh. George Harrison E. Ooh. 
I totally wrote George stuff in this one. I wrote, this is Margot at her fuck you best, a nasty little number mm-hmm. in the vein of piggies. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's got a George Harrison sort of situation, even in the guitar tone. Yeah, that's so funny. We both zeroed in on that, because I had never even thought about that before I was, like, listening to last night and writing a couple little last last things here. This is one of them kick-in-the-door, like, follow-up tracks to that sort of sad, sweeping melody in the first one. I love the line, you blow so much smoke, it's bound to make you choke. I see the snakes in both of your eyes. Yes, that's a really great line. Yeah, it's just really nasty. You wouldn't know class if it bit you in the ass. That's why I thought, I was like, oh, it's clearly about Trump. Because I was like, it's classy. Yeah. It's going to be the classiest time. Yeah. We're having a great time in Memphis. <laughs> We're going to be walking in Memphis. There's going to be a lot of ghosts, but they're not going to get me. <laughs> Where am I going with this? Well, she famously dislikes Donald Trump. We'll get into her politics a little bit when we get into the next song. But um, this was written and recorded around the campaign of 2016. So I guess it's conceivable. I have a quote from her. She said, I wrote this about an acquaintance who's a bit of a sociopath. It's funny how songs change meaning over time. It seemed to be fitting for the privileged and the separation in the classes that we're dealing with today. So you actually kind of hit the nail on the head. She Mm. started it about this person she knew, and it morphed into this political thing. Oh, that's interesting. So about a friend of hers that's a sociopath. Yeah. But then... I clearly read it as the president. So, all right, fair enough. <laughs> but she, but as she, as she says, it changed meanings to fit that broader political spectrum. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, an- another line I like from this one. Tell me, what does your pride taste like, honey? Well, haven't you tried it out? It's better than the taste of a boot in your face without any shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Don't disagree. I know. How can, I can't disagree with that. I know. So that leads us to track number three, Tennessee Song. I love the drums at the beginning. Ooh, you're just pulled in right away. There's a little distortion on them. Take me back to Tennessee. Yeah. Great. So this one, this one, if you take it at face value, is the exact opposite of what I like about Margot Price. Because this one, okay, when you hear this, you're like, at least I was thinking like, oh, God. A Tennessee Pride song. Awesome. Like, it almost felt like pastiche at a certain point or like um, like a Leonard Skinner kind of knockoff or something. But it's actually, it's not pride in the people. It's literally pride in the land. She did an Austin City Limits performance that was, I think, the night after the election where Trump won. Okay. And she introduced this song and saying, this is an ode to the land but not necessarily the way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got all sorts of associations with state names at the point here now. I'd like to uh, not affiliate this, this next state song with a color, maybe just besides the color green. <laughs> it's written about, about a place that I do love and about the, the beauty of the outdoors. Maybe not the, maybe not the way of thinking. So she is an ultra-liberal, liberationist, feminist for sure, raunchy activist in an industry that is so tied to the good old boy mentality, Mm -hmm. which is why her and Neil Young make a lot of sense as a one-to-one. Yeah. And and because of that, she, you know, she was and, and is 
still struggling to find a place in the in the country world because the country world is so rooted in conservatism to an extent, I would say. That's a broad generalization, yeah. but at least yeah. I'd say that's fair at least a little bit. It's definitely fair. Yeah. So this is one of those songs where, you know, if you didn't think too hard about it, you'd think it was maybe an ode to that good old boy mentality, but it's actually literally an ode to the land itself. And she actually talks about how the, I forget what Native American tribe she references in this, but the Lakota people, right? The Lakota, which are, I believe are a confederation of the Sioux tribes okay, in the Great Plains. It's like Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska. Yeah. But that's not necessarily where they were. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not much of a historian when it comes to that stuff but there were a lot of lines in these lyrics that i thought were interesting did you notice the 65 or 40 west line uh, i did the i-65 it enters tennessee from alabama uh-huh. and then the i-40 comes from arkansas at memphis and runs through nashville so she's saying like i don't know which suits you best which road right. to get back to tennessee okay so, a lot of clever lyrics is my point to this rambling little bit i've done here I always assumed that's what it was and never looked it up. I-65 definitely being my favorite electronica band of the late 90s. I was also blue. Uh, Dabba D. Dabba die, yeah. Is that racist? What did I just say? I think that you said entertainment <laughs> is what you said. Okay. All right. So that brings us, let's, let's move on to track number four here. Since you put me down. Oh, I got one more thing. One more thing. The future ain't what it used to be. That's an old Yogi Berra line. Is it really? Not Yogi the Bear. Yogi Berra the... No, I know that. Yeah. The baseball man from the Yankees. He had all those hilarious phrases. My point, again, is that she is just so smart. She's pulling from all sorts of places and putting them into songs. And your point to, okay, well, this is going to be one of those straight ahead songs about Tennessee and it's really not no not at all it's much deeper than that she makes references to other artists that I admire in a lot of her songs there's a song called A Little Pain from her next album. I sent you the video of that one last night. And in that one, she said, like Levon said, I ain't in it for my health. And of course, Levon Helm is all of our favorite. So um, yeah, she's pulling from a lot of different places. Definitely. Let's talk about Since You Put Me Down. Now, this is the one when I was listening to this record for the first time that flipped the switch in my brain. And I was like, same. Okay, I like this. She says the line, I killed the angel on my shoulder with a fifth of Evan Williams. Fifth of Evan Williams. <laughs> and for those of you who aren't big drinkers out there, Evan Williams is kind of garbage whiskey, yeah. which which is, I have Evan Williams all the time because I don't spring for the good stuff. And it just hit me on this like personal level. I felt like I, the song pierced my soul for a minute. Right. Because I, you know, I've done that. I've tried to kill the angel on my shoulder with a fifth of Evan Williams before. And so it's so relatable, even though I've, I've had none of these experiences that she has. She makes me feel like I had her experiences through the power of her lyric and through the strength of her melody. Agreed. And then she follows that up in that same lyrical line. I've been trying to turn this broken heart to stone. Yeah. <laughs> 
Whoa. Yeah. And who hasn't tried to do that? I, I, I couldn't name a person. In the song, she describes herself as an outcast and a stray, which I always felt was super endearing because, you know, it's like, oh, Margo, you could come stay. Come on, well, I'll bring you in. You can come stay on my couch, you know, like that. But she, that's the way she feels. You know, she felt cast out literally from Nashville at that time in her life. She felt like a stray. She was just a rambling like much like the the right. Delta Bluesman, like she was like literally a rambling musician <laughs> in a Winnebago. Seriously, yeah. yeah. Every time you say Winnebago, I think of Spaceballs. I okay. had to just get that off my chest. Okay, I think of the Muppet Family Christmas when it was cold outside enough to freeze your Winnebago. So we both have mm. issues to work out. We definitely do. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of the Winnebago thing. I, you mean generally, <laughs> yeah, just, right? just generally. She co-wrote this one with her husband, Jivey. I think Tennessee song as well. And she said that Jivey had started writing it. He maybe had a different direction that he was going, but I definitely used that song to write about a, to write a scorned love letter to an old manager that did me wrong. People think it's about love. So this is about that guy. Oh, boy. The last line I want to just point out from this is... Um, All the vampires at the bar won't ever get too far. They're just sucking all the good blood out of this town. I was going to bring this line up, too, because it's like the Tom Petty, the vampires, he's talking about him free-falling. Yeah. Now, she's a huge Tom Petty fan. Well, there you go. And she actually changed on her second record in the song All American Made. That's a song about how the world is fucked. In the original version, I think I don't remember who she cries out to to like pray for the world, but she changed it to Tom Petty (laughs) in the officially released version, which is really cool. Yeah, so she's a big, big Petty fan. Speaking of her influences, that brings us to track number five, Four Years of Chances. Excellent. Yeah. So this is a funk tune. I was going to say, is this a disco song? How did this end up on this record? She pulls from a lot of different places. And just to give you some background, I saw this tour. I saw her at the Troubadour Mm. touring this album, which was awesome because Troubadour is a nice little club. And I was on the amp watching her. Mm. Her band covers a Meters song in that. I don't know if you're familiar with the Meters. but Yeah. 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 They clearly like play funk tunes. Like they, they clearly don't yeah. just stick to country western stuff, you know? Country band that can play the meters. She pulls from a lot of places, like we keep saying. Yeah. She's, she's definitely, she's woke, as they say. Isn't that something kids say now? Kids do say that. That they're woke. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I think it applies to this. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a big like ambient epidemic when we were in college so i think those people are just waking up now is that what <laughs> that there was that ambient thing people were like <laughs> paralyzing themselves <laughs> with ambient <laughs> i mean i knew a person in college who showed up at my door one time without any pants on and a big woolly winter coat oh boy and that was just that just had ambient written all up and down his ass yeah you all right man yeah. you okay dude <laughs> What? What? I'm asleep. Okay. Okay. 
So four years of chances was influenced by two things. This is her talking here. Of course, by relationships and by the guys who had treated me bad, but also by a conversation I had with a friend of mine when we were both drunk and sitting on the porch. She said, I gave that motherfucker four years of chances, and I thought that's a great line, and I'm going to steal it for a song. So that same night that she was, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure she told this story, and I, I could be conflating some things, but I believe that's the same night that she got pulled over for drunk driving and thrown in jail. Wow. She had that conversation. And uh, at the Troubadour show, the friend who had told her that line was in the audience. That's great. Yeah. That was also about how she was breaking up with her band, Buffalo Clover, and she was talking a little bit about how Buffalo Clover felt like a relationship. And so boyfriends, girlfriends, her friend's story, Buffalo Clover, all of it rolled up into this song, and it turned into a metaphor for just endings in general. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of great playing on this one. Well, yeah, the fuzzy bass and the drums in that first bit are great. Yeah. There's actually musicians on this record, and that's not something you see all the time anymore. Yeah. So that brings us to track number six. This town gets around the countryest little piece of honk on the record, I think. Yes. It's not who you know, but it's who you blow that'll get you in the show. What a line. (laughs) You can tell she's been around. She's seen a few things, yeah. Yeah. She told The Independent about this song. In this world, there's more crooked people than honest people, and I've been screwed over by men and a couple of women, too, in the music business. A weird thing happens, and it's not only in the music business, where people exchange sexual favors to advance their career, and I've seen people sleep their way to the top, and people have tried to proposition me in those ways, too. It felt good to write about it in This Town Gets Around. I was mad and I wanted to write a song. Now, this is all written and recorded and all that stuff before the Me Too movement and all this stuff, but she's singing about this shit, you know? Yeah, she doesn't care. She doesn't give a fuck. Nope. Maybe I'd be smarter if I played dumb. Yeah. Very good. I thought that this is just how Hollywood is, and apparently not, you know? Mm. I've I've always, you know, you hear about the casting couch or other forms of that these days, and... It's good to know that most of society is screwed up in the same way, I guess. <laughs> Consistency is nice every once in a again. There's a comfort in the order of the universe being yeah. awful, I guess. Yes, yes. yeah. That sangria story, I still, I've been just thinking about that since you said it earlier. It's like, ugh. I know. And because that whole last verse in this song about the manager that, that could be as old as her dad or whatever. It's, ugh, uh, this one's clearly about that. Took me out for drinks and talked to Sweet Talk. He said, darling, sign on the dotted line. Kiss my cheek and drink this wine. And if you don't like it, you can just walk, something like that. Yes, yeah. Creepy, creepy, creepy stuff. Uh, So that brings us to track seven, How the Mighty Have Fallen. Now this one, I love this one for its Motown-y interlude on the record, but it's definitely not a favorite of mine. And I was interested, we were talking last night, I was interested to hear it was one of your favorites. Yeah, it really is. It reminds me of... An Elvis Costello song from his Mighty Like a Rose era. Mm -hmm. And look, I know that not everybody's the biggest Elvis Costello fan. (laughs) I love his songwriting and I love his lyrics. There's just something about the Say Goodbye to Hollywood beat. You know, the dum, 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 ra, dum, 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 dum. Yeah. The night we met, I knew I be my baby, right? You so. Yeah. How the mighty have fallen, like they do every time, and to me, you come crawling with your crown at your side. It's just a great picture. Yeah. Good image. You were high in your mountain. Now it's back to the farm. Kind of an allusion to 
Elton John. What song is that? Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Oh yeah. Bling 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 bling. How the Mighty Have Fallen right back into my arms. I love this one. I think this is my favorite song on the record. And I know that that's not popular. I mean, I it's funny you mentioned Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. We'll talk about that one plays into my notes on the next episode. But this one I think it's her, her most beautiful singing. Uh, on the record. Yeah. And again, those sweeping strings just kind of come in and save the day. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of country stuff is in a minor key and can run a little sad. With her songwriting, I think she very smartly uses a major key. And just in her chord progressions and things, there's an optimism even in the most... Yeah. Even in yeah, the yeah. grungiest places. Yes, yeah. And I think that that comes from her Midwestern nature. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. Sure. Having grown up around that same sort of thing. You know, you're not quite New York. You're not quite Nashville. You're not quite England. You're not quite California. Yeah. But man, the winters are cold. <laughs> <laughs> and you got nothing to do but to consume <laughs> media and other things. Yeah. So. I think that's why she draws on so many references. You really spend a lot of time indoors in that winter. Yeah. But well, from there, we move on to track number eight, Weekender. Weekender. That's, it's amazing. Again, the, the instrumentation is unbelievable throughout this whole record. In that whole part where she goes, Caged Bird has to sing. Yeah. The, the two drum beats. And it slings into the walking bass. But doom it's really good yeah this one tells the story of when she got locked up after that drunk driving incident it's you know the turning point for her in her life and stuff like that the wake-up call but she uses it to great effect here and there's some there's a little like johnny cash on it a little bit yeah yeah not just from the prison stuff but just in the story quality you know the (laughs) she's she's lived a life and she's telling us about it definitely is yeah absolutely is the line that i love in this one is when she's describing her cellmate Oh, my God. That's great. This is a quote from Margaret. She says, I felt like when I ended up in jail, that was God's answer. Now you are in the loony bin. And so I've kept a lot of that from my family. I don't know if my sister knows. They'll know when the album comes out. So she... Yeah, yeah, definitely. So she kept this kind of stuff private, mostly. And then she just put it all on the record. And we are reaping the benefits of that disclosure. This is another one that stood out for me on the first listen, because you get the sense, even if you don't know her story, you do kind of get the sense that she has lived this stuff. The the lyrics feel lived in. Yeah, absolutely true. So yeah, I, I think that's about all I have on this one. It's just a really great song. Nice little country tune. What more is there to say than that? It is. It's just, wow, eight songs in a row, and they're all good. Yeah. And then we're going to go to a ninth song that's great. I mean, the next one must be a fan favorite, right? Certainly for me, it was the single. It's the song I think of when I think about Margot Price. That would be track number nine, Hurtin' on the Bottle. Another one of those kick-in-the-door tunes that'll like kick your ass into the bar and then back out again. There's just a lot of kicking going on. Yeah. Definitely. It's a drinking anthem if I ever heard one, but again, one with pathos. There's that line. <laughs> pathos. Yeah. Been looking for a peek inside the valley, been searching for a key outside your door. I put a hurtin' on the bottle, baby, now I'm blind enough to see. Been drinking whiskey like it's water, but that don't touch the pain you put on me. 
What a line. What a line. She's talking, you never too old to learn to crawl. Yeah. <laughs> I just think of that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street where oh, he's, yeah. dr- he's dragging himself to the white Lamborghini. <laughs> you know? I forgot about that. It's a really fun record. Yeah, the, the end, it gets a little like, gospely there's like a little churchy feel right at the end of it she's almost preaching to the altar of this lovable alcoholism very clearly likes to drink this girl almost all of these songs so far have had some kind of mention of it but this one she's just saying i'm drinking whiskey like water okay yeah we know (laughs) by now we definitely know lady well that's that that brings me to a point we haven't really touched on yet is as a person who works in the music business you can relate to this i'm sure is a lot of it is selling attitude and not necessarily even selling the music it's selling your approach yeah it's what li- i'd say that's what life is about you can't sell somebody something if you're not confident about it sure and then in order for somebody to buy into something you have to believe in your story right and and what are records for artists nowadays especially then business cards <laughs> sure like this is what i'm about this is my story when you come see me live you'll get more of the same mm-hmm. yeah it really is it's all a show yeah well it's interesting you say that because it comes back around to that time where rolling stone asked her well where's your record she says, well i don't have one and so that was a great yeah she learned that lesson i think the hard way that the lesson you just described but you know part of what she's selling in this is like fuck you i'll do what i want And I don't have to listen to you and I don't have to listen to anybody. I listen to Mm -hmm. people in my life. And you know what? I got screwed over. So fuck you. You said at the beginning, she's sticking her middle finger up at just about everybody here. And that's part of the attitude. And then the other side of the attitude is like she makes no bones about drinking heavily and smoking a ton of weed. And um, to the point where... She became fast friends with Willie Nelson after this record came out and she got famous. Makes sense. He's got some kind of like weed business on the side. Like there's actually a strain of weed now in California that's named after Margot Price. It's like her personal strain of weed, which is currently sold out across the state. Wow. Hey, Jay-Z was a drug dealer before he was a rapper. It all really is the same stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not even really joking about it because music is the shortcut to emotion. It's it's a rush for people. If you want to feel sad, put on a sad song. If you want to feel happy, put on a happy song. Well, what's the difference between that and a drug? Yeah. Almost nothing. Way less calories in music. You know, <laughs> That's, but... true. That's true. That's <laughs> true. I mean, we all turn to that stuff at one point. I mean, I, I, there's people who don't, I suppose. But you're turning to something, no matter who you are. Whether it's, if you're not drinking or smoking or anything like that, then you're turning to... Like you said, music or some sort of media. I, mean, every- I don't know, man. You ever meet somebody who's just sober and they're so sober, they're like drunk on their sobriety <laughs> and they have a, and they're like real intense about it. And, you, and you're like, yeah. ah, and usually you find out there was some kind of addict pr- uh, yes. previously and yeah. they've just replaced the addiction with something else like a business or a right exercise, a hobby or who knows. Yeah. I st- my point is the people that don't, do a little of this. Uh, I don't know if I trust them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, they're like life vegans. They're like vegans for life. Freegans. Legans? Yeah. Lee? Nothing. I don't got anything. Nope, that's all I got. I would beg our listeners out there next time you're having a glass of whiskey, pop hurting on the bottle on while you're doing so. I guarantee you it's going to make that experience a lot better and much better. Yeah. 
you're going to be singing this damn song. I bought the 45 of this one because I went through a phase where I was like, I have to own everything this woman put out. And the flip of this is that song, Desperate and Depressed. We talked about the one that got her the Mm -hmm. deal at Third Man. And what an A and a B. Hurting on the bottle on the one side and then Desperate and Depressed on the other. Now, she sped Desperate and Depressed up for the tour. She made it into a more rocky song. But the one that appears on the B side is this another one of these like don't think you can take advantage of me just because i'm desperate and depressed who hasn't felt desperate and depressed in their life it's very relatable stuff yeah again you haven't felt depressed i don't know if i trust you (laughs) do you know what life is made out of in order to get something you have to experience a little bit of pain whether you're like oh i want to lose weight or i want to get a career or you like risk there's always the people that live in their little secluded suburban houses or whatever and you're like ah no risk. No ah, risk. what's on Netflix? <laughs> what's the next fucking thing I can put it in my eyes and ears? This is the this is the portion of the show where Ryan roasts you, the listener, personally. <laughs> hey, whatever you do with your life is totally fine. I'm saying the people that have never ever been sad or are like, I'm so my life is so great. You're like, okay, cool. You're talking about Mormons, right? You're just talking about describing Mormons. I'm talking about everybody that's different than me. I don't like them. And I'm not, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I haven't even had a bad weekend or anything. I don't know where this is coming from today. You need a segment to spew your hate. (laughs) Maybe it'll change my sad boy into one of those like super sober, happy people. Oh, I've got a book for you. I wonder if I'm going to get fired from my, one of my jobs for this one. Let's move on to the last track on the record, a short track called World's Greatest Loser. Another one that's not a favorite of mine, but another one that fascinatingly when you you described as one of your favorites. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like I have a learning disability or something, but simple songs, they're so powerful for me. And this is just straight ahead. It's short. Mm -hmm. You know, when you got a song that's around two minutes or under two minutes, it's just over so fast. Yeah. You have to play it again. Sure. That's what this is for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a fragile, broken, little cracked portrait of a woman with nothing to lose except, mm-hmm. except the person she loves. The three verses end, if I lost you, I'd lose my mind. Then if I lost you, I'd lose my life. And then if I lost you, I'd lose it all. Yeah. There's a... In ascension, I mean, you, you lose your life, you lose everything, but that's the genius of what she does. She's saying, there's more than just to lose my life here right. by the end of the tune. And that's why I'm like, whoa, when I, you're spinning through this whole album and it's a barn burner the whole way. And then this one stops you in your tracks. You know, this is like you got Rainy Newman's on vinyl, the last record we did. I'm, I'm probably going to go buy this one. Yeah? Yeah, it's really good. It's one of my favorite records, easily, and that I've heard in a long time. I'm so happy to hear that. I I, I knew it was a... Re- well, well, I guess we can kind of stop it there, because that brings us to the end of the record. And after this album was put out, she got a lot of heat on her, and I was very... Like, I, I don't know, I've taken her career 
path very personally because I was I feel very invested in it and I was so proud to see that she got a, the best new artist Grammy nomination. She didn't actually wind up winning the Grammy, but it wasn't best new country artist. It wasn't best country song. It was best new artist. Right. And I was so happy to see the establishment notice her and say this is a person of value. Mm-hmm. I was bummed she didn't win it, but I was so proud that she got to do it because like I think it's really well earned and honestly gives me a lot of hope because she got famous at the age I am right now and it was by sticking to her guns and it was by not giving up and it was about moving through adversity and her story I find to be, I mean, not at the risk of sounding corny and I guess it is a little bit, but I find it kind of inspirational. Like, hey, she did it. Like uh, Stan Lee's another example. Like that that dude didn't create the Fantastic Four until he was 40. So like- I didn't know that. Wow. There's always time to do this stuff. It's never too late to try and to keep at it, you know? And I think it's a good lesson, especially for creative people. Don't get discouraged. Like, keep at it. That Okay, so that was the what I was trying to say in my rampage previously. <laughs> yeah. Just go and do something. Do it. Make something. Yeah. Just, if there's, there's no reason not to. And I believe that everybody listening can do anything they want to do. Really? I sincerely. This has been Ryan's inspiration corner. Uh-oh. There's a devil and then there's a, 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 a shinier devil in a nicer suit <laughs> on the other shoulder. That's Margot Price, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. Great album. I think this one was a wild podcast. I think we broke through something here. Yeah. I had a really nice time. I did too. And thank you all for listening. We'll, we'll see you back next episode for a, for a one that had to pierce my expectations had to pierce my hangups and i'm very excited to talk here's a hint Mm. you don't know what it's like being male middle class and white (laughs) goodbye see you next time do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today contact us at at now hear this podcast on instagram at now hear this pod on twitter facebook.com slash now hear this podcast or email us at now hear this official at gmail.com see you next time annabelle just unplugged all the clocks and everything <laughs> it'd take me an hour to reset all of them <laughs> it's fine you're doing a great job i really appreciate it thank you for the coffee thank you for marrying me i didn't think anybody else would have Hey, Paul, how are you? This is going to make a great blooper reel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul, how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute Mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right, ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>